Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a great show lined up for you. It's something that really resonates with something that it's the, well, really at the heart of Native American culture. It's individuals caring for one another. It really refers to something that uh, has been happening throughout the world for decades, for centuries, but is really being formalized in a discipline called community health work and community health workers. And I've got two uh, real experts to talk with us about this subject, Noelle Wiggins and Victoria Adewumi. They are members of the leadership team with the Community Health Workers Center for Research and Evaluation. It is so great to have you ladies with us uh, for today's show. David, thank you so much for having us. It's very nice to be here. You ladies uh, are very active in this whole field. A lot of folks, when I mention community health workers, immediately things resonate with them. They know what a community health worker is, or they know the range of people that may carry that designation. For those who don't know much about the field, I think I've seen the most attention being directed at CHWs. When we start talking about the great health needs that we're facing globally, I do a lot of work uh, as a physician and public health professional with non-communicable diseases, chronic diseases, things like high blood pressure, diabetes. And, um, you know, as we look at the literature, just for example, here in the United States, people are saying we don't have enough health professionals to make the kind of impact that we need as far as these very pervasive conditions And a lot of folks are saying we need to turn to other people beside doctors, nurses, other health professionals. Can some of you ladies help us understand what community health workers are and just how they fit into this big picture? Yeah, you're making great points, David. And it really is affirming for us to hear a new recognition around the importance of community health workers, a field, as you've mentioned, that has been doing extraordinary work around the country and around the world for centuries. Something that your listeners will likely not find unique is that we often rely on our healthcare system to produce health. So as you said, doctors, nurses, other clinicians, while we also know that more than 80% of how health is produced in communities has nothing to do with sort of the medical model, that health is produced almost exclusively in the environment in which people live, work, and play. And so it's not necessarily health care or even health behaviors that are most demonstrative in creating positive health outcomes. It's where people live, it's their home environment, it's the community that they spend most of their time in. And that is where we think community health workers really shine. They are experts in the communities that they live, work, and serve within. And they are ensuring that individuals and communities are able to access the kinds of supports that produce the very best health outcomes. And so we would say that absolutely there are and continue to be extraordinary clinicians that are doing such important work 
and our community health workers are really helping to facilitate health in ways that are culturally, linguistically, and relevant in other ways to the kinds of populations and the kinds of people that they are experts in. So, Noelle, how about from your vantage point? Someone never heard of community health workers. They're getting some feel from what Victoria shared, but they're still kind of scratching their heads, saying, yeah, it kind of makes some sense to me, but help me maybe understand this a little bit more. Sure, David. I think I would just really underline a couple of things that both you and Victoria have said, that this practice of community members supporting other community members to be healthy goes back as far as human history. This is not new. And I think one of the things that Victoria pointed out that I also think is really important to acknowledge is that Community health workers don't just work with individuals. They really work with whole communities and they're sort of uniquely able to bring whole communities together to identify and address those underlying causes of ill health that you and Victoria both talked about. That's one of the ways in which I've seen community health workers be so powerful. So, Great concepts, but I know a lot of folks, they're still thinking like, well, these people have been around forever, and I don't see anyone saying they're a community health worker. <laughs> Give us some examples. What do these folks look like? Where are they? Oh, that's such an important question. So I've heard this talked about in the context of auntie work, of grandmother work, mm. work of neighbors, helping neighbors. In faith communities, there is a beautiful and long tradition of providing a helping hand when folks have needed it. So everything from bringing a, a meal to a sick neighbor or a sick relative or giving somebody a ride to the doctor's office, all, in my opinion, encompass what it means to be a community health worker. These are people who have servant hearts, lead communities from the place of wanting to provide the very most good and the uh, formalization of the role might look like CHWs working in healthcare centers, in health departments, in community-based organizations is actually where we see the most community health workers. And they are doing, in my opinion, some of the most important work to create the positive health outcomes that we know are so important. And so it's, it's likely that your listeners have encountered community health workers all their lives and are now just recognizing and realizing their important contributions to health in the United States. So someone might be asking, you know, we have Native Hawaiian listeners are saying, well, yeah, we have some aunties here that are caring for the community, but they don't walk around saying they're community health workers. Or maybe someone on another reservation says, hey, we've got some elders that really kind of champion things happening in our community. Are these people all, in a sense, community health workers? Is just a new name for people that have been out there? Noel, how do we conceptualize this? So, David, I'd say largely yes. It's a name that serves as an umbrella for people who go by many different titles. Community health representatives, very prominently in Native communities. Promotores, promotoras de salud in Spanish-speaking communities. Um, there's an endless list of titles that community health workers go by around the world. 
And this is the title that has been chosen largely by community health workers in the mid-90s as a title that, while it would definitely not replace the unique titles that are used in unique communities, is the title that community health workers have largely chosen as the umbrella title for the profession. So right now, we're in a very interesting time, at least as far as health delivery. I'm hearing more and more about health systems, insurers that are starting to reimburse some of these services that once maybe just were part of the fabric of a community. They may have had an official title, like you mentioned, Noel, in different cultures. Others, it may just have been kind of informal people that had a sense of being caregivers or informally. Victoria, what's happening kind of as far as designating people as community health workers and maybe even, you know, the whole area of reimbursement and formal careers as we might look at it? Yeah, that's such an important question. And it it makes me think about my own experience during the pandemic. I've been a community health worker for the last 10 years. And during the most acute phase of COVID, I'll say, that we really saw a recognition that our health services, to your excellent point, were not reaching the most marginalized, the folks who had the least access to the kinds of supportive supports like transportation, the economic strength to be able to go without work for a month or so in the event of illness or the illness of a friend or family member. And that to me was a pivotal moment in so many of our systems recognizing that if we are going to reach the folks that have historically experienced the greatest barriers, we are going to need to invoke and empower individuals to access their best health in ways that are very different than expecting community members to come to us in our institutions, in our buildings, and access what they need. That, to me, led to a new kind of recognition around the critical importance of folks who shared language, culture, experience with community members to be able to facilitate those critical needs at a critical time. From that moment to this moment, I would say that there has been an incredible recognition, again, that those services, because they're critical and because historically, CHWs have been paid some of the lowest wages within systems. In order for that work to continue, there has to be sustainable mechanisms. I would not say that we have arrived on that Mm. journey, but I do think that it began a different kind of recognition about the importance and the hope that we can establish systems to really sustain the profession financially. Well, Victoria, I love the fact that you've been in the trenches. You know, you're someone who's not just uh, in academia and saying, hey, I read some interesting books about this. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you got into community health work, because I think a lot of people be interested in that. Thank you so much for that question. I I, uh, had the incredible experience of being a community health worker, I'd say, uh, almost from birth. I'm a first-generation American, and so as someone that has been straddling two cultures simultaneously for my entire life. I've been supporting and navigating for family members from a very, very, very young age before I knew that that had a relationship with community health work. From those early experiences to working 
specifically with grassroots direct service nonprofits that were supporting refugees and immigrants. I had the most incredible experience of my life getting to do the work that I saw uplift, support, and strengthen communities. And then was given the immense opportunity to work at a local health department to continue to sustain that really important work. And so I would say that I have really learned from community, from my own experiences, from extraordinary practitioners like Noel, how to both do community health work and at the same time really be a champion and an advocate for the work that I think is some of the most vital work happening in the United States today. Tremendous. And so, Victoria, where are you based right now? I am in Manchester, New Hampshire, and so have had the incredible pleasure of getting to work in a community that I've really grown up in and also have had some really, I would say, really informative experiences in seeing how this work is critical to ensuring that all communities, and especially the most marginalized, are able to succeed. Wonderful. So now, Noelle, we've heard a bit about Victoria's background, and we've heard she's based there in New England. Is it safe to say this is more of a New England phenomenon, and you're also based in the Northeast? Actually, uh, while the Northeast definitely has a long tradition, long and proud tradition of community health work, I am not based in the Northeast. I'm based in the great Pacific Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Wonderful, wonderful. I love the diversity geographically that I know is represented in your organization and in community health workers. And of course, as we've already pointed out, it's not just a North American phenomenon. And I love, to your point earlier, Noel, that in indigenous communities, uh, these long traditions, you know, historically going back as far as uh, we often have oral history of people as community health workers, Noel, we want to hear more about your story. We've got to step away just briefly. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about something that not only is extremely exciting as part of indigenous cultures throughout the world, it's something that can make a difference for you, whether you're a First Nations person, whether you have uh, been here in this country, uh, your first generation, uh, like uh, Victoria's background. We've got some exciting things that we'll talk about the role of community health workers and how you can be involved, how it may make a difference for you personally, for your family, for your community. Don't go away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking with two experts in the field of community health work. I've been speaking with Noelle Wiggins and with Victoria Adewumi. They are members of the leadership team for the Community Health Workers Center for Research and Evaluation. We're trying to get a little bit better acquainted with these two individuals before we launch into some of the most uh, impactful things. We've given, I think, some tremendous background, but we want to talk about some practical things that can influence each of you, our listeners. But before we do that, Noelle, we want to get a little better acquainted with you. We learned that you're. Uh, in close proximity to some of our indigenous uh, health leaders there in the Northwest. Uh, we've had the uh, folks from the Portland Area Indian Health Board on the show in the past and are doing great work up there in your neck of the woods. Tell us a little bit, though, about your background. So, David, in 1986, I went to work in a rural area of El Salvador in Central America as a volunteer with a non-governmental organization. And at that point, I had an undergraduate degree in history and a bilingual teaching certificate. Mm. So one of my responsibilities was to support a team that had begun to train community health workers or promotores, promotoras de salud, as they're known in Spanish. In that situation, as in many situations around the world, community health workers were taking huge risks to become trained and to serve their communities. I was very inspired by the community health workers with whom I worked. So when I came back to the States in 1990, and I was offered a job working with community health workers in the migrant seasonal farm working community in Oregon, I very gratefully accepted. Since then, I've had the opportunity to work with community health workers in different parts of the US and to some degree around the world. And I've never met a group of professionals who inspire me more. Um, thus, it has really been a blessing 
to continue to work with community health workers for almost 40 years now. Wow. That is a tremendous story. You ladies uh, clearly have a heart in this discipline. And now you're with an organization called the Center for Research and Evaluation. People in professional circles I know are well aware of it. We actually met at a major public health gathering, the American Public Health Association's annual meeting. And, uh, I mean, when you mention your organization, I mean, everybody in some of those rooms was well acquainted with what you do. But for many of my radio listeners, they may be scratching their heads, like, what kind of a group is this and what do you all do? We have the uh, immense pleasure of getting to be a coalition of CHW, CHW allies, researchers with other academics, other folks who feel strongly about seeing communities reach their best health potential. And in that place, I would say that uh, CHWCRE, as we call it, has really been, in my opinion, an organization that has done extraordinary work in convening CHWs to learn how to measure and assess their own profession. We know that it is critical for any field to have practitioners being on the front lines, not just in doing the work, but also in doing the measurement, assessment, and research. So that's a critical function of our work. We also know that CHWs have not always felt equipped and comfortable and confident in conducting research. And so that's much of our work to really help community health workers feel that they have the skills they need to be researchers and evaluation evaluators of the community health worker field. We also get to do some really great work with researchers who themselves are not CHWs, but care deeply about the field, care about advancing the workforce and are doing research within it how they can work with CHWs and communities most optimally. And I would say maybe not finally, but an additional piece of our work is that uh, the CHWCRE would really came out of the Common Indicators Project, the Community Health Workers Common Indicators Project, which created process and outcome measures for CHW programs. So oftentimes CHW programs, and I'm in one, may not have or may not feel that they have all the tools they need to demonstrate the extraordinary outcomes that they are producing for communities. So how can they tell their story? How can they communicate with funders and with other agencies the incredible work that they're doing? And how can there be information and best practices and standards that can be generalized across programs, whether you're in Manchester, New Hampshire or in Portland, Oregon. So that to me has really been critical and central to the amazing work of our organization. Now, Noelle, you have been, as you mentioned, involved with community health workers for you know, literally, what, four decades. You're also part of this team with the uh, Center for Research and Evaluation. If you're talking with someone about some of the things that uh, Victoria has just described and you're trying to make it practical with some illustrations for someone who's maybe not a health professional and they're trying to understand, well, you know, just what do you do? What kind of stories are you telling? Uh, what kind of research are you doing? Can you help illustrate that a little bit for us? 
Sure, David. Um, again, just building on what Victoria has said, I think, you know, we know both from experience and from the literature, the papers that researchers have written for 50 or 60 years, we know the amazing work that community health workers are doing. And yet, just as all community health worker programs are very appropriately unique, the evaluation measures that have been used to measure both the processes and the outcomes of that work have also been unique. And that's made it hard to combine data and stories and facts from around the country, around different regions, different communities, to tell a very strong story that is very convincing to all sorts of different people from policymakers to academics about why these programs are so important and what makes them effective. So I think that's part of the reason for the emphasis on process outcome or process indicators is that we know that certain conditions allow community health workers to have a maximum impact on their communities. And these are things like having supportive and reflective supervision and being paid a living wage mm -hmm. and having involvement in decision and policy making. And so by measuring some of those things, we can draw more attention to the importance of those aspects of programs, again, using measures that have been chosen and vetted by community health workers themselves. So would one of you ladies tell maybe a story or two of certain community health workers that may be making a difference so folks can kind of get an idea of just how important this uh, group of individuals is? I'll take the opportunity to talk about one of our other amazing leadership team members, uh, Celeste Sanchez-Lloyd, who is operating a really incredible CHW program in Michigan. And I would say, and this is where, for me, it has really hit home about the importance of helping CHWs feel uplifted in this work, that so often CHWs are really expected to do primarily direct service roles, health education roles, roles that are really focused on system navigation, which are all incredibly critical to the CHW field and profession. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't always been that same emphasis on supporting CHWs to do what we're talking about, evaluating their own profession. This also connects for us really strongly with community-based participatory research that really says community members are experts in their own lived experience. And so if there is a problem that we are identifying in a community, community members most likely already have a solution. And our mm -hmm. job is really to just listen to them. So I am always so impressed with Celeste because I've seen her model that for her team, really helping them feel that they have opportunities to speak to, as Noelle said, policymaking in their organization, that they are able to establish uh, what it looks like for supervision needs. And that to me has been extraordinarily important to operationalize some of the things that we're talking about. So we're saying that research and evaluation is critical and we're partnering with community health worker programs across the country to help them 
measure that, but then also make change within their organization for CHWs to be in the most optimal conditions that we know get the amazing outcomes that CHWs are so expert in producing. Wow, Victoria. So there's really um, a lot of reasons why we need to bring more structure to evaluating community health workers, to tell their story, to let people outside of that community know what impact they're making, as well as to uh, really inform them, you know, what are things that are working in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, how those things might be translatable into their own backyard. So I love what you guys are doing. I love what you bring to the table. We're going to talk uh, when we come back to people who may want to get into this field. What does it take to become a community health worker? What are some of the exciting developments? If you're listening in today, you really don't want to go away. Our last half of the program, some very practical matter that I think will resonate with you. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More to come right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're talking with two ladies who've really put their heart into an amazing dimension of public health. It has to do with community health workers. They both have been active in the field, Noelle Wiggins and Victoria Adewumi. They are members of the leadership team with the Community Health Workers Center for Research and Evaluation. We've been learning about them. We've been learning about the center. But uh, what we're especially interested in at this uh, juncture in the show is... Uh, really getting a better feel for some of these programs that have made an impact, that have touched people. We've been hearing about that and now taking it to perhaps some of you who are tuning in. Uh, you may be wondering, you say, well, sounds like a, a great role. I'm excited. I'm inspired. But uh, Victoria, how does someone become a community health worker? 
Yeah. So, David, you heard me describe this work earlier in our program as auntie work, as grandmother work. And we love using those designations because it speaks to the idea of service, first and foremost, and also the idea that there is something inherent in an individual that makes them want to serve their community and give back in ways that are not just a profession, but a calling. So the National Association of Community Health Workers had their annual conference last August of 2023, and, and they had an anthem, and that anthem was CHW's Born Not Made. And I think that is something to me that speaks specifically to the idea that to be a community health worker, we are always valuing, and this is across language, community, culture, background, folks who have lived experience and who share commonalities with communities that they're serving. And really additional training, other kinds of professional development opportunities are evoking something that already lives with inside a person. And so I would say it's likely that if a person wants to become a CHW, they already are connecting with organizations that are important to them. They're already giving back in ways that go above maybe the expectation or the norm. They're already finding ways to be a support to folks in their community who need it. And being a formal or being in a formalized CHW role is an extension of the person that they already are. So, Noelle, we've been talking on this show about uh, some of the real advances, at least in, you know, as far as research, things that your center's doing. When we were there together at the American Public Health Association meetings, I heard of a number of individuals who were looking at, at different ways to help uh, as we mentioned earlier, help community health workers uh, get a living wage. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that issue, Noel? Because some folks may say, yeah, I hear what Victoria is talking about. I'm doing this, but, uh, you know, it's all on my own time, and I'm not really, uh, I'm struggling. I'm helping my community, but are there other resources? Do I need to be talking with people? Do I need to be looking into things? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that, David. And again, I'll, I'll sort of take up where Victoria left off in saying that, you know, historically, um, the way that people become community health workers is that they're chosen by their community as community health workers. And, and I think that even in our, um, in our bureaucratic systems in 2024, we can still take a page from that book and we can make sure that as victoria mentioned when local public health departments when health systems are hiring community health workers which you're right they're they're doing that more and more these days that they are involving community members in the selection of those community health workers in a variety of ways and then community health workers um, can go and participate in other kinds of professional development activities. In terms of funding, um, again, building on what's been said before, I think um, this struggle to 
sustain community health worker programs is not new. I can remember when I was working for that migrant and uh, migrant and seasonal farm working clinic back in the early 90s, um, one of my colleagues saying, these community health worker positions need to be part of the base grant from mm-hmm. Bureau of Primary Healthcare. And so I think that um, that struggle to sustain living wage jobs for community health workers continues. And reimbursement is part of the puzzle. And I think that in order for community health workers to be able to play that full scope of roles, that also includes advocacy and community organizing and research and evaluation, this profession needs to be supported with a variety of different sources of funding that can support all of those roles. You know, one of the interesting things that we're talking about here, we've been speaking about these individuals that really grow into, or as you said, Victoria, are born into these roles. And I know when we talk about closely knit communities, like you worked in, uh, Noel, there in Latin America, or if we're talking about a reservation-based population, people, you can show up somewhere and you can say, do you have a community health worker? They say, they may not know the term, but once you explain it, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, just go down over there and you'll find, you know, so-and-so. But speak maybe to someone who may be in a population, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of Native Americans are in urban areas. They may identify with their indigenous roots, but they're maybe not in a community that's as closely knit as, say, you know, on a reservation. And maybe a hypothetical situation of young lady, young man, maybe they went away to school, maybe they're just living in an urban area, and they say, I'd like to give back to my community. I don't know that I've got the resources or the motivation to spend, you know, many years getting a training as, uh, you know, master's level, doctoral level, professional, but I want to be involved with a healthcare career, and I'm hearing about these community health workers. Is there some kind of a track where someone can say, I may not be in that role already, I have that desire, like you said, Victoria, maybe that's already my qualification, but no one's going to say, hey, come and work over here because I'm not really embedded in the community that I want to be serving. Can either of you speak to that uh, scenario? Yeah, and and David, thank you so much for uplifting the uh, dueling realities of folks who want to give back, they want to serve, but may not necessarily see the access point or the opportunity. And we know, and again, this is why we're champions of the CHW workforce, that too often folks from marginalized identities are not provided the same kinds of opportunities to be able to support themselves and to support other community members in the ways they would like. I'm thinking specifically about organizations that may already exist within urban context and rural context, regardless of where you live, that are being powerful in supporting communities. And the title may not say community health worker, but the work does. The work looks like reaching out to folks who may not have the same kinds of opportunities or the same kinds of access and ensuring that they're not forgotten and they're not left behind. Those organizations exist in every community across the country. 
I'd also say for sort of the uh, entrepreneurial self-starting person that if that work isn't happening, there's lots of, and I myself have some of this background, there's lots of mutual aid collective impact projects that have begun with one person or two people who have decided that they see a need and they want to start meeting it. And they find extraordinary allies like Noel, like others to help resource them to do that important work. So I would always ask folks to begin where they are. And I'm, I'm thinking about what kinds of resources do they have? So they may not have qualifications in a formal sense. And quite frankly, I think that that puts them first in line to be community health workers, but they have extraordinary qualifications in terms of their lived experience, their community knowledge, hopefully community trust. And that are assets that can be leveraged within formal organizational environments, community-based organizations, and just within the existing social networks that they may have access to. Well, that, that's definitely encouraging. And to follow up on uh, Victoria's point, Noel, we've been mentioning, you know, the Center for Research and Evaluation, the you know CHWCRE, and. I'm just wondering, you know, in response to what Victoria said, someone might be listening saying, yeah, I've got this vision. I've been part of this community. I mean, are you guys someone that I can connect with and you'll maybe help me learn about some grants or something? Or are you folks working more behind the scenes, supporting people more on the research end of things? Can you help us understand that, Noel? Is there, would there be a reason for someone who's maybe not a, a researcher involved in organizing community health workers that may want to, you know, reach out to your group? So thank you, David. Yeah, I think the beauty, one of the many beautiful things about the community health worker field in the U.S. is the collaboration that happens between different groups. So yes, people can absolutely contact us and we may just be the entry point to another one of the national organizations with whom we work, including the National Association of Community Health Workers, the Community Health Workers section at the American Public Health Association, um, a group called Envision Equity that uh, works in training and technical support for community health worker programs. And then certainly don't wanna to forget to mention the local and statewide community health worker associations. So if we are not exactly the right group, we can definitely help you get connected to the group it is. Tremendous. So Noel, just how would someone connect with you guys? So they can reach us at info at chwcre.org. Okay, let me make sure I'm getting this down. So just info, I-N-F-O. Uh-huh. And then at CHW for Community Health Workers, uh -huh. CRE -E. for Center for Research and Evaluation dot ORG. Uh -huh. That's right. Okay. Well, that is very helpful to know. Um, you ladies have been sharing, you know, some great material from your wealth of experience. Noel, I know you really pulled away from some important responsibilities. So did Victoria but our window of time with you is, is rapidly vanishing. So, uh, Noel, before we let you run off to, uh, to other responsibilities, any final words uh, of encouragement for people that are really hearing about this for the first time and really just want to leave them with something about the importance of community health workers? I think the last thing I would say, David, is just to reiterate again that um, 
this is a truly unique group of professionals um, with whom I have been honored to be associated. And if your listeners are feeling moved to learn more about the field, um, we'd be honored to help them connect to others. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Noel. We have to step away from this segment. We'll be coming back with one more segment. Victoria Adewumi is able to stay by. Noel, one more time, thank you so much uh, for joining us and helping us today. We're going to come back. Stay tuned. Final segment, especially practical insights for you. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest staying by is Victoria Adewumi. Victoria, based in New England, is one of the uh, leaders, one of the team members for the Center for Research and Evaluation, working with community health workers throughout the country and throughout the world. Victoria, we've been speaking a lot about community health workers, their value, traditional role in indigenous communities and others. And um, even though we've spoken a lot together, as we're winding up, 
you know, we want to make this practical. And one of the ways I think we can do that is by saying, hey, what kind of messages do you think the general public should have? They should know when it comes to community health and community health workers. Yeah. The phenomenal thing about this opportunity for us, David, is really the fact that we're realizing that a lot of the general public either is not familiar with community health workers as its own profession or has very little information. And so really what we've been doing in our time together, to me, has been so critical in helping folks, number one, know what a community health worker is and its critical value. Something that is also really important as I view the field is that too often roles are valued based on their financial contribution. We say ROI, but we don't mm. think about other kinds of returns. So that's the other message I think is of critical importance that CHWs are doing empowerment, they're doing advocacy, they are creating the conditions that allow families and individuals to thrive. And, and there may not necessarily be a immediate dollar value on that, but that continues, in my opinion, to be the most important work that any of us can do. And, and hopefully we all are contributing to outcomes in the communities where we live, work, and play that may not necessarily have a dollar amount associated with them. So I would say those two things. And in the same breath, I would also say, and you brought up this point expertly earlier as well, that for these roles to continue, they have to be sustained. Much of the infusion, the proliferation of community health workers we've seen or community health worker programs we've seen in the last few years are a direct result of American Rescue Plan Act funding, and that funding has an expiration date. And so how can we as communities advocate and say these roles are critical to how we are able to ensure the best quality of health and life for our community members, and they need to be sustained? I love what you're saying, Victoria, and I know folks who are in that community health worker space who are tuning in, I mean, they're resonating with what you're sharing. Other folks, like we mentioned in this show, they may be just hearing about some of these roles for the first time. They may say, oh, yeah, I, I can relate to this. Yeah, there are you know, these navigators that have helped me, or maybe it's a community health representative. Maybe it's been one of these other terms that they've heard used in a different uh, segment of the population. And they're saying, oh, yeah, well, that's what this person does for me, or that's what this group does in our community. But I think one of the things that brings this whole discussion together is where we start saying, like you said, you know, what can we do either individually or as far as networking that can make these programs more sustainable. Just by way of illustration, a lot of times I'll be speaking in communities here throughout the States, maybe even abroad. And when I'm invited to do something in public, I sure, like a lot of us, we do a lot of web-based stuff. But I tell people when I'm in person, I say, I love to do this because what people don't realize is even though there's great information out there on the internet, you can access all kinds of things, the real power is when people come together and uh, when you support each other, this power of social support or social connectedness. And so I might be speaking in a faith community group or an indigenous uh, group, a tribal center, whatever it might be. I say, look around you because you've got a health resource right here in this community. You're coming together. You're motivated to improve your health. And one of the groups that I've seen over the years champion that are community health workers. They may actually have that title, but often they don't. They're just people that are interested in the health of their communities. So. Victoria, as we kind of transition to trying to put this ball fully in the court of my listeners, 
there's, I think, some great opportunities with what the Center for Research and Evaluation is doing. I want to make sure those are explicit. So can you help us understand maybe some ways that my listeners may want to interface with you and, and people like you? Absolutely. So again, just immense gratitude for the opportunity to share a little bit about what we do and why we think it's important. And we would first and foremost really welcome folks to please visit the website. So that is chwcre.org. And that provides a whole host of resources, but a few that I want to list up is first and foremost, we have a 300 person plus advisory group that meets bi-monthly. That group are our technical experts. Those are folks from every walk of life, folks who are uh, storied CHWs and, and really help build the profession in the modern day and, and folks who just identified as CHW last week. And all of them get to come together with other allies, researchers, academics, and other really cool folks and really direct our work. So that first and foremost would be my first invitation. We also, as we spoke about earlier, have our guide to the common indicators. This is most in my opinion, most likely to resonate for folks who are in a CHW program and are trying to figure out how do I demonstrate to the funders what we were able to accomplish in the mm -hmm. last calendar year? Or I am not an evaluator, but I need to be able to show impact in order to sustain these roles. That to me is your one-stop shop and it's written to be accessible. So if you, like, like many of us, hear the word evaluation and cringe a little bit, that to me is a great resource to be able for any person to start, number one, understanding and feeling confident that they can speak to the really great work that CHWs and CHW programs are doing. And then I'll just lift up one other thing that Noelle said so beautifully that we have the immense honor of being part of a larger network. Folks like the National Association of Community Health Workers, amazing organizations like the CHW Core Consensus Project or C3 that really helped develop the immediate roles that we consider to be central to the CHW profession and establish a scope of work. Organizations that we continue to get to do great work with. And so if folks would like to get more information about any of those, they also are more than welcome to reach out so we can provide some of those connections. That is so exciting. And I know whenever we give out an acronym, you know, a bunch of letters, uh, some people's eyes glaze over, but if they can remember, we've been talking about community health workers. That's the first three letters, C-H-W. And we've been talking with two of the members, the leaders of the Center for Research and Evaluation. That's C-R-E. So just put them together, C-H-W-C-R-E dot O-R-G. And that will bring you right to your website and to all these great resources. Have I got that down pretty well? Beautifully, David. Thank you so much. I love this idea of the guide. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't checked it out. You and I have talked uh, off air about some of the things that I do that interface with community health workers and others who are trying to make a difference as far as the health of their communities. And it sounds like uh, this guide is something I should be picking up because even though uh, a lot of the things uh, that I've done over the years, I have published some research and presented things at national meetings, but a lot of the stuff that we do, we're not evaluating formally, and people may have great success stories and all, but, you know, and when it comes to funding, when it comes to researchers, they say, well, you know, those are just uh, 
you know, stories. Those are just, you know, that's just anecdotal information. You don't have any real data, but you can actually help someone like me or others to have data so that we can speak to people who may want to invest in this and we can say, yeah, this does work. Am, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. At its core, the guide and the indicators are meant to help programs demonstrate the extraordinary work that they're doing, while at the same time helping us understand how are CHWs able to do the extraordinary things that they're able to do. We live in a society that values titles, that values social positions, that values formal education. And here are CHWs who demographically are folks who come from marginalized backgrounds. These are primarily people of color, First Nations people, women, folks that are gender not conforming. And yet they're able to do what no one else, in my opinion, mm. is able to accomplish in terms of extraordinary health outcomes for communities. How is that possible? And we would say that using tools like the guide to be indicators helps us measure how exactly is this happening? So we know things like supportive supervision, living and thriving wages, spaces where folks feel affirmed and accepted and included and like they belong in their workplace. These are all things that are contributing to that extraordinary ability for CHWs to do the great work that they're doing. Well, Victoria, you and Noel have inspired me. And uh, I'm definitely, when we finish, I'm going to go to uh, chwcre.org. stands for Community Health Workers and uh, Center for Research and Evaluation. Put those two together, chwcre.org. And I want to take advantage of some of the great work you're doing, hopefully collaborating more with some great people like you. Hopefully many of my listeners... Uh, We'll do the same. Thank you so very much, Victoria. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And to each one of you who've joined us as our listeners, thank you for joining us again for American Indian and Alaska Native Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.